of setting the tone in our retrospective, the show where we do a chronological breakdown of every episode of our favorite TV medical drama. My name is Elizabeth, and with me today, as always, are Lauren. Hello. And Daniel. Hey. Today I'll be talking again, second time, <laughs> first audio was lost, about second, yeah, about season five, ep- nope. season five. <laughs> can you tell? Can you tell the me? energy is a little fucked up on this one, gang. Yeah. Uh, season seven, episode five, I can read. Which is titled Flight of Fancy. <laughs> the episode aired on November 9th in the year 2000. Lauren, what was going on that week 22 years ago? Oh, let the insanity commence. The presidential election face-off between George W. Bush and Al Gore kicks into high gear after no clear winner can be decided following election day. Fuck you, Florida. Yep. Uh, in slightly better news, Hillary Clinton is elected to the U.S. Senate, becoming the first ever first lady to win an election while still being the first lady. Uh, Meet the Parents is finally knocked off its high horse as Charlie's Angels, the action comedy starring Cameron Diaz, Drew Barrymore, and famed ER guest star Lucy Liu debuts and takes the box office crown. Now, we talked about this already. None of you know this, but I'm going to make Lizzie <laughs> watch this movie because it was my childhood jam. And Come On Over Baby, All I Want Is You by Christina Aguilera is the number one song for its fourth and final week. I still have no idea what that song is. It was one of her, I think, latter day teeny bopper hits. Like before she went full, like, you know, unleashed, un- unleashed herself. Yeah, yeah. Like this was one of the last like where it's she's still in direct competition with Britney Spears gotcha. for like teeny bopper queen. Before she started doing concerts in, in fetish gear. Yeah, yeah. before all that. Yeah. So uh, as we've alluded to several times, let's get this out of the way at the top. This is our second attempt at recording this episode because we got all the way through it once. I was in the middle of editing it, and my computer took a shit, and we lost all of my audio and a lot of Lauren and Lizzie. So that uh, kind of necessitated us to go back and redo this. Unless you just wanted to hear the theme and then, like, 45 minutes of silence before we played the first audio clip <laughs> like, or just was, hear lauren and i's because lauren and i's clip is still safe uh, yours still most of her laptop well, yeah most i could have uh uncanny valleyed this whole episode and just re-recorded my new audio re- responding to ghost lauren and lizzie but i didn't think that would be a very enjoyable experience for anybody so we're doing it again we're doing it live uh, but uh, as for what else is on the evening, so uh, all that to be all that uh, being said, uh, basically what what I'm trying to get at here is that if we sound a little bit disengaged with this episode and a little bit just kind of over it, it's because it's nothing against the episode itself. It's literally just that we did this once already and we've talked about all this already and we're bo- we're all very tired and we all want to break. And so, you know, we're we're getting it done, but it's uh it might not be up to our usual standards. So bear we with us. We suffer for the art. That's right. So we suffer for completionism. And uh, rep- and representing the juice box nap nap squad. I just woke up from a nap five ten minutes ago. So so we're we're good and to I go. Just had ice cream and it's making my tummy uncomfortable. Huzzah! Chaos <sighs> energy all around. Daniel, what else was on? At eight p.m., friends with the episode, the one with the nap partners. Appropriately Woo! enough, uh, at eight thirty, cursed, and then she gave him the bird. At 9 p.m., Will and Grace with the episode Love Plus One. And at 9.30, Just Shoot Me with Choosing to be Super. This week's episode had 28.4 million viewers tuning in, directed by Leslie Linka Gladder doing her seventh out of 13. Previous one of hers from last season uh, was The Domino Heart. 
uh, and written by the team of Joe Sachs doing his eighth out of 35. Uh, previous ones of his from last season included Under Control and The Domino Heart. And Waylon Green doing his final episode of five. The last episode we saw from him was Jake's favorite, They Treat Horses, Don't They? Love a good Jared getting dumped on episode. <laughs> Literally. Yeah. All right. Our previously on this week is brought to us by Armano. And we opened the episode with uh, Mark complaining about the ER being short staffed. And he's basically being forced to go on a transport with paramedics because they have a heart patient that needs extra attention. Um, which wouldn't you want to bring it with? Because this dude has a heart condition. Mm-hmm. So necessitating a transplant, right? Yeah. No. Well, well eventually. Eventually, yes. yes. Yeah. Wouldn't you want like someone like Dr. Kaysen on there and not? Not necessarily because this is just getting him, theoretically, I'm just going to say this, theoretically, based off what we talked about last week that has already been forgotten, um, it would be they need Mark there because he's trained specifically to do transports with the paramedics. That's yes. one. Two is they want to make sure they have somebody who can keep him stable in the field and then get him to the ER. Three, this is where you're right, Lizzie. He should immediately go up to cardio and not be stuck down in the ER when he arrives. Like, you would think like he was hanging out in the go... ICU at one place. Yeah. He should be going right to the ICU or cardio team at another. Like, you're coming from the helipad. You're bringing him farther down to the ER than <laughs> to the cardiology. That's or that's just ICU. hospital hierarchy. You have to. That's the challenge. You have to start at the bottom and work your way back up to the uh, cardiovascular unit. Is that what that song is about? Starting from the bottom, now we're here? Yes. <gasps> it's all about the hierarchy of the uh, horrific American healthcare system. Oh, boy. Um but everyone needs something from Mark. Benton's, Benton is working down in the ER, so that's you know going to be totally, totally fine. No problems whatsoever. Because uh, Especially because Kovach hasn't shown up for his shift and he's not answering any calls. And we welcome back Randy. Yay, we missed her. I missed Jerry. <laughs> only, be only another uh, season and a half before we'll get to see him again. Hmm. Um, and it's Carrie's day off, too. So, again totally fine everything's under control and a hot appy comes in but romano snipes it upstairs and tells ben he's covering the er for the day yeesh and ben first response i haven't done primary care since med school only the finest doctors for the people coming into the only the county best er yep uh then we learn mark is in fact flying to grass creek indiana for transport he's telling lizzie this is they're up on the helipad and he's supposed to be back by noon to meet with the wedding planner with Lizzie. Sure. Okay, that sounds like a wonderful time. I'd rather be in the helicopter. And uh, <laughs> I just have to say, I love that view of the Chicago skyline from the helipad here. It's a really good shot. Your building looks beautiful. Yeah, and also the Blue Cross Blue Shield building before it had the extra couple floors added yeah. onto it. So just just nice. Was it like 10 floors or something they added? or Something, something like that, yeah, 10 or 15. Um yeah, then we are in with bangs, and we go back to Benton and Cleo snipping at each other, not too happy. Cleo says, thank you, Lizzie. Cleo says that he dumped her by billing we by being willing to move to Philly without talking to her first. And it's like, Jesus Christ, Cleo, you didn't even give him a chance to talk to you. He made the decision and then went to go tell Lizzie he was taking it. Like, if you hadn't run into him there, I'm sure he would have talked to you about it. Oh, my God. It was a very fast-moving situation, lady. Jeez. Yep. 
But, um, so she's clearly unhappy, and he's like, that's not what happened. But he then goes in, takes a little peds case, works with a little boy, Jason, to which Cleo's like, that's a peds case. And he goes, it's fine, I got it. And Jason then smacks the heck out of him, and... Jason is in my shitty child column, which I am starting this season. We might have a list by the end, depending on how many shitty kids are in season seven. <laughs> yeah, we're, we're going to add that to the uh, to the wrap-up at the end of the year. How many if shitty there, children? If there's enough worth it. But um, then Cleo takes over and soothes Jason right in front of Benton and takes care of him no problem. Fuck you, Benton. Cleo knows what's up. Let the peds person do her work. Yeah, and this is, by I think, by far... Uh, the most ex- interesting uh episode we've gotten out of Cleo since she's been on the show like i think this mm-hmm. is this is the episode where we find Cleo kind of professionally the most compelling she's ever been um personally it's a little more up and down like she's not so good at the beginning of this episode uh, here with Benton uh being i think a tad unreasonable but as we get towards the end of the episode that sort of shifts so we'll we will see that uh, as we go forward. But uh, we go from there to Mark picking up his patient in Indiana. A uh, man by the name of Tom Coggins is being transferred for heart treatment in Chicago. That's a uh, fake name. That is a very... No shit? <laughs> very, very fake name. Uh, and uh, we learn that his fiance is flying in from Montreal today to be with him. Uh, the geography of this whole relationship slash dynamic is just uh, mind-boggling to me because he's in in the middle of you know BFE Indiana, and the hospital he's going to be in is Chicago, and his girlfriend slash fiance is in Montreal. Like, just there's just a lot of balls up in the air right now. Maybe she was traveling for work. Maybe he was traveling for work and needed to go to the hospital to be stabilized. Maybe so. There's plenty so. of reasons. But yes, you're right. It's really fucked up, assuming this is where they all actually live. Yeah. Uh, but our patient here, Tom, is played by actor John Piper Ferguson, who appeared in stuff like V100, Suits, and Unforgiven, and has 151 credits to his name, which I believe makes him the high watermark uh, actor for the episode. Also, is that really how he spells Piper? P-Y-P-E-R? Yep. P-Y-P-E-R for Piper. I like how you, I like how you said, is that how he spells it? Is if a middle name isn't something given by your parents? But like, is that the, is that the correct that it, yes. spelling? I, I yes. As someone who has been known to make a typo or two in his notes, it's a fair question. Uh, so, But yes, uh, that is his uh, Christian name, as it were. P-Y-P-E-R for his middle name. Fun times. Uh, well, Benton's working on a stab wound down the ER. Guy fell on a pencil sharpener. Y'all called me out on how I wrote these notes. Uh, Daniel, yeah, you want to take this again? We've, we've had this argument once before. This is going to be one long episode of Deja Vu. But, uh, so I think I'm of the opinion that because it's Doris bringing him in and I believe Malucci is in the room when she brings him in. And I believe it's Malucci who asks, was this guy stabbed? And uh, Doris looks at him and goes, no, he fell on a pencil sharpener. Like, like no, you idiot. Of course he was stabbed is mm. the way I read it. But Lauren had a different read on it. No, I really didn't. I just was typing literally because I was going fast and didn't bother to see that it was Doris who was sassing Malucci. So upon further inspection, I think Daniel's incredibly right, and I need my critical listening skills checked. But Lauren, what what did you notice as well? Whose films are those? That was sultry. That was very very good. good. Some good whose films are those ASMR for listeners today. Uh, ben kicks Malucci from the trauma to go learn somewhere else because Malucci's being a dick. Uh, Romano takes the patient and tells Ben to go look for other patients to help. And uh, this is also the last uh, 
even remotely good episode of Malucci, I would say, before uh, he's going to completely fall off the wagon next week uh, and we'll hate him forever. So. Also, this, this is the last episode with the blonde hair. Oh, is he? does he ditch the blonde hair uh, it is, by next week? We, yeah. we we did a preview of 7-6 to, before I took notes. So luckily, we so haven't taken notes for 7-6 yet. So that's what it yet. is. That's what it is, yeah. then. The uh, the symbiote has fully uh, gotten Absorbed. into his body, and it's no longer in his hair. It's actually in his heart, and that's why he's such a dick by next episode. You're, uh, but then Carter walks by and teases Benton for being down in the ER right as a guy pukes over his emesis basin and onto the floor Bet. and Benton's like my dude seriously gets him some composine whatever you can't even call that an emesis basin it's a little like one of those kidney shaped yeah well, that is an emesis I mean it is, it is an emesis basin but they do come in different sizes and the one that he has is comically small it's, like... it's an emesis cup <laughs> yes yes there you go um but yeah so Carter teases him and Benton's like get the hell out of here uh Carter walks over to treat a teenager named trent and trent cut himself working on a decoy duck in art class and uh carter quick gets called out of the suture room by chuni to talk to trent's grandma before he starts you know suturing trent up and we learn that trent has hiv and no one has told him he's like 15 years old and nobody's told him yeah they the grandmother here too still makes it seem like he's I mean, he is a child, but he's not a child. Like, she makes it seem like he's, like, you know, five and can't possibly, like, it would, it would, he he somehow wouldn't be able to comprehend his own illness. And uh, he certainly couldn't possibly be having sex or. Right. Or like, the grandmother here is a really frustrating character uh, who is played by actress Joanna Miles, who appeared in stuff like Judge Dredd, The Glass Menagerie, and Star Trek The Next Generation. Uh, but she's an incredibly frustrating character who, like, um, basically creates this moral dilemma that it uh, it becomes incumbent on Carter to solve, and it really sucks. Um, but we'll get into that as we go along. But Trent here is played by actor Blake Heron, who appeared in stuff like We Were Soldiers, Shiloh, and Tom and Huck. Uh, and unfortunately, he passed away in 2017 from a drug overdose. Um, and yeah, I was reading some articles about it. Um, and it sounds like uh, not now. This is not to say that that this there's a direct you know cause and effect here, but just that it was a, uh, an unfortunate coincidence, unfortunate connection. Um, shortly before his death, he um, so he had suffered from uh, drug and alcohol dependence in his late teens, early twenties, probably probably around the time he was on this episode, and had recovered from it, and then uh, was acting in a film in I believe twenty fourteen fifteen somewhere in there, uh, where he played an addict and talked about it in an interview about how tough it was to like get back into that mindset and to relive some of those memories and relive some of those experiences. And, uh, you know, it's not, not hard to draw in your mind, the kind of parallels that might lead a guy back down some of those roads. And, uh, it's just unfortunate what happened to him. Cause he does a really good job in this episode. So mm-hmm. brings a lot of heart to it. He does. But we go from there uh, back to uh, Mark on the helicopter. He's uh, talking with his patient here. He's antsy to get back to meet with this wedding planner. Uh, They're chatting a little bit, and he finds out that his patient's fiance's name is Janet. Uh, And uh, Mark decides to call the ER on his cell phone to let them know to uh, call Janet and see if they can get her uh, redirected over to county. Um, And we also see at the same time Carter is on the phone with Trent's pediatrician asking him to confirm 
uh, Trent's HIV status. Now, quick pedantic question here: Shouldn't the ER that's tr- or the hospital that's transferring Trent be responsible for making that call to his family? I like, would. That should not be Mark's job. Yeah, because he really doesn't give them much information beyond this guy named Tom has a fiance named Janet. Can you give her a call? Like he, that's really the, all of the information that he gives them. You know, mm-hmm. they might have. Uh, they, sent the chart over. Sure, they they, they may have, have yeah. His, have his have her number as his emergency contact or something. Yeah, there could definitely be some unseen transfer of information between admin departments and stuff. But it was just sort of funny to <laughs> that he's like, it was it was very much a like hand wavy scene of just like get take care of it, you know, like and then slam the phone down without saying goodbye kind of thing. See, my big question here is why they're transferring from someone from Indiana all the way to county. It might be the closest major metropolitan hospital. There are plenty of major metropolitan hospitals on the south, uh, on the south side and beyond. Yeah, Fuck I guess if it, I know. Yeah, I guess it de- all depends on where this uh, uh, Grass Creek, Indiana, is. If it's even a real place. Not like I'm googling it right now. <laughs> yeah, why the? F- that's like equidistant between Chicago and Indianapolis. Maybe <laughs> maybe Indianapolis was at capacity. I don't know. What happens next, Lizzie? Anyway, uh, Kovach is at the police station, uh, and they make the joke, if you keep coming by, we're going to have to get you a badge and a gun. Huck, huck, yuck, yuck. Um, Luca is clearly feeling, feeling guilty with the with, with the murder of the assailant and trying to identify him, probably just to get some closure. Yeah. Unburden his soul to his family. He's going through it a little bit. Just, just a skosh. It's fine. Um... But then Carter finishes up Trent's sutures and tells him about his HIV status. And Trent thought he'd been taking vitamins this whole time for a deficiency, not medication for HIV. So he's fucking shocked, as he should be. Uh, And Mark is checking with the pilot on the ETA to county. They're about 20 minutes out. And Tom starts to experience some chest pain. Ruh-roh. Burner-ner. Uh, back with Carter and Trent, Carter asks Trent if he's sexually active and reminds him that he needs to be using condoms if he is and uh, has him uh, set up with a caseworker and the teen HIV center. And uh, Trent is very clearly very eager to leave and just kind of, you know, brushes Carter aside and then blows past his grandmother in the hallway. Uh, who is then in turn pissed at Carter for telling him. And uh, I'm 1,000% on Team Carter in this situation. Carter, hashtag Carter did nothing wrong. Uh, he was uh, totally well within his well within his rights, but also well within his like responsibilities as well. Like mm-hmm. I, I think he had a like ethical responsibility to tell this kid uh, what was happening to him well, and yeah. what had been happening to him. Especially because at this point it becomes a public safety issue. Right, yeah. As we'll find out later in the episode, it's become a, it could have become a full-blown public health crisis mm-hmm. kind of thing. And like this grandma, like in a different alternate timeline, this grandmother should have had some kind of like legal repercussions for uh, what happens later in the episode. Like she should have been held at least, I think, like civilly responsible, maybe not criminally liable, but just like there should have been some kind of recourse with this. Also, uh, Mama Lauren reminder, everybody practice safe sex and get tested. There you go. 
we go back to the helicopter, uh, and uh, oh no, the helicopter has an issue with the main rotor, and they're going to have to do an emergency landing. And Mark just so happens to be back on the phone with Corday when it happens. Uh, and uh, so this is where, as we'll find out when we get to the listener responses, uh, this is where the marketing for the episode really, like, kicked into high gear uh the basically apparently the somebody in the listener responses uh actually remembered watching the promos for this episode and apparently they all the promos for this episode centered on something dramatic happening with a helicopter and mark's life potentially being in danger and boy howdy if i was watching this episode live and i had watched those promos and what we get here is what like you know, build up in theater of your mind what you think is going to happen based on those promos and then watch what actually happens in the episode, I would not be a happy boy. <laughs> like, I would be no. quite upset because I, this sucks. I had, I had a whole theater of the mind thing and I didn't watch the promos. I was disappointed anyway. Right. Um, yeah, there, there's just, you know, as, as we'll get into it, they're going to set up like four or five different possible scenarios that could go wrong in this situation spoilers none of them pay off like this this is a total like red herring misdirect bait and switch whatever you want to call it like this is a total like they're they are they have sold this episode on a bill of lies (laughs) because this helicopter is not gonna matter squat diddly in about five minutes um so they they basically do what amounts to like a rough landing like they the the chopper is still intact it lands on its right side up like it's everybody's fine but they do rush out of the chopper to run to safety they're in the middle of like this industrial junkyard and the the pilot is like we got to get you know clear the helicopter in case the fuel tank blows and so they're running away you know keep that in mind check off's fuel box uh as they're they're running away from the uh chopper the first the pilot smacks his leg on a piece of like metal jagged metal whatever's sticking out tubing something something. yeah something sticking out so he smacks his leg and he hurts himself the flight medic and mark are carrying uh tom the rest of the way on the gurney thank goodness there happens to be a gurney shaped uh thing of barrels already like perfectly laid out in the middle of this uh junkyard for them to uh, lay the gurney down on I mean, clearly they just anticipated it being having helicopter space size holes. (laughs) Right. Yeah. Yeah. They had space to like safely land a helicopter within this junkyard uh, and then also position a gurney on it so that they could then tube him uh, because his his condition has deteriorated rapidly in the course of this uh, emergency landing. And so, yeah. So when we leave them at this point, it, they make it seem like it, like they've survived the crash, but they're not out of the woods yet. So we will definitely circle back to them in just a little bit. Well, Corday tells the ER team about the quote, air quotes crash. Um, Benton is getting pretty overwhelmed, so he decides to take charge of the ER workflow. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and it's still no co-watch. Oh, and then... Speaking of Kovach, we go over to him asking around the river walk with a photo of the um, gentleman he killed, and nobody recognizes him, but um, he does ask a very, very friendly trumpet player <laughs> down by the river. 
And a trumpet player that we have seen before and will see again. Uh, not as a trumpet player. Or maybe he is. I don't know. It could have been, This trumpet player could have been canonically, I guess, the same person that we saw in the previous episode. Uh, so our trumpet player here, the last time we saw him was, if you will uh, take a trip back in the Wayback Machine to uh, early season five. Every time you say that, I want to do the Wayne's World. Maybe that's what I need to start doing. Um uh, I, I want to say it was early season five. Um, the the good fight, Lauren's favorite non favorite episode, mm-hmm. um, where this gentleman played. Uh, so when they go into the uh, public housing uh, neighborhood, and there's that woman that is uh, suffering from uh, TB, and mm-hmm. Carter goes to treat her, and then her neighbor shows up and thinks Carter is attacking her, and you know pins him up against the wall. That was our trumpet player here. Uh, so he's making a return uh, and will make one further appearance as a different character in 2006. So we'll see him a little bit further down the road. Um, Tom has good breath sounds. Woo-hoo. Yay. But uh, there's no way in all of this junk that the, the emergency <laughs> crews are going to find Mark and co. What are we going to do? Mark needs to go grab the flare gun from the chopper because the pilot can't walk after twisting his goddamn ankle. <laughs> But wow! I like really I like cool. how we're just like vilifying the pilot here. Like the no, the pilot no, is the I'm, real enemy. I'm vilifying this whole goddamn sequence because, like we said, I completely misremembered how this episode happened. So this whole thing was just the biggest goddamn cock tease of an episode for me. And as bit. Mark runs up, something's leaking from the helicopter, and the door is sparking when Mark opens it. So oh god. Something terrible is about to happen. Uh, Mark runs away, and they do. They even do explosion music as mm-hmm. Mark is running away from this. But he gets up to safety up high to light the flare as the ambulances are rounding the corner to come rescue them. Yeah, there still were like, no explosion. They would have found them like within. I don't know because if they hadn't known to turn down that specific offshoot it just seemed like they were very very i mean yeah yeah even yeah lizzie's right even by the time he's running up the ramp to fire the the gun in behind him in the frame yeah behind him in the frame you can see the ambulances coming in so they've already turned down that road they sort of knew what the deal was (laughs) and it's just you know it's just another example of like they just set up all these like potential calamities with this situation and pay off exactly zero of them and so it's just really kind of silly and, you know, we, we talked about this on our first attempt at this episode. Like, I almost wonder, like, because they do so much setting up of it with no payoff. I almost wonder if they did plan on exploding the helicopter and they either ran out of time or they ran out of budget. I, I can't imagine, like, because ER is not usually a show that does that. It's not usually a show that, that builds and builds and builds and builds and builds and then no payoff. Usually you get some kind of payoff. It's not always a satisfying payoff. But you get some kind of payoff. This was just like, you know, build, 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 and we're done. Now they're in an ambulance. Like, it was like planes, trains, and automobiles, but, you know, with doctors. Like, it was just, now we got to take an ambulance. Now we got to, like, if they'd have put the gurney on a bike and biked him into the ER, it would have been the same. Except planes, trains, and automobiles actually has some goddamn pathos by the end. (laughs) Yeah. And also taught my sister how to swear. Oh, okay. Yeah. Well. Uh, the more you know. The scene where he's trying to get the rental car and uh, he just curses out the um the agent. My sister, uh, 
replicated that scene at like four or five years old in front of some of my dad's work friends. There you go. I love it. Yep. I love that movie. I love John Candy. John Candy is one of the only actors who like I get I forget that he's dead and then I see him in something and it makes me sad all over again because he's gone. Like every time he shows up in something, I almost cry because I love him so much. Daniel, maybe you'll be the person I watch planes, trains, and automobiles with. Because if I recall correctly, it's not one of Lizzie's favorites. So I would watch literally anything that man acts in. It's, it doesn't matter if it's a good movie or not. I've never seen Uncle Buck. So we have to watch Uncle Buck together. Like Uncle Buck okay. is so good. I love it so much. We'll we'll ha- we'll have a, a cozy Discord stream night where whoever wants to watch it will sit and watch it together absolutely All right. uh but for now we go back to the er uh, abby is uh, still calling for luca uh but she gets pulled away by benton who uh needs her help in an exam room with a patient complaining of abdominal pain uh but turns out it's actually just a sex worker uh with a roll of money stuck up her vagina and uh she needs uh them to quickly get done with this because uh she had took a cab to the er uh and the meter's running so uh and this this might pose a potential continuity error uh or not continuity error but logic gap if you will uh yeah. because of because how busy the er, the ER times is are like as, as the with how busy the er is it, you gotta imagine the wait time is at least like two or three hours probably especially for I for think, this kind of case where she would be triaged very low i think though if i recall correctly and i could be terribly wrong i thought there was a cop out in the hallway so you think or something so i wasn't sure if maybe like she had been kind of frontlined by the cops mm. and she's trying to tell them like hey uh this isn't actually what's going on mm. my but then why would she have a cab i i don't know i'm just trying to think of like <laughs> we're trying to I apply mean. logic to an illogical situation you're right it's totally it's totally a logic gap but yeah but yeah but so and, and it, it is uh so here's a here's a lesson for you uh tv writers if you're going to do jokes involving sex workers, do jokes like these where nobody gets hurt. Nobody's the butt of the joke. You make your little joke and then you leave the room and you never address it again because this isn't a running joke. We don't come back to this patient. We don't come back and go, haha, look at her. She's a sex worker. It's just, oh, look at this wacky situation she's in because of her job. Isn't that funny? And then we move on. Like, that's proof of how you can do a joke like this. Have it be a, a fun time for everyone involved. Nobody gets hurt and move on. It can be it's done. Punching, punching sideways, not punching down. Exactly, exactly. Uh, but uh, Abby and Benton get pulled away to work on a six mo- six month old boy with respiratory distress, uh, and Benton has great difficulty uh, tubing this baby. Uh, he's unable to do it, and uh, he doesn't know what dosage of medication to deliver because we don't know the baby's weight. And this is where we get the opportunity for Cleo to come in and really flex her pedi- pediatric muscles and actually show that she's a competent doctor and is, you know, more than just Benton's girlfriend, like writers. Who knew? Who knew? Uh, she comes in and shows him exactly what's what, that he was using the wrong tube and the wrong size blade and that the, there's this, fa- I forget what the tape is called, but it's this fancy tape that they lay out on the, the gurney that estimates fetal or not fetal weight but the you know infant weight infant infant weight and you know medication dosages and stuff like it's it's her opportunity to show that she is actually a real live doctor and not just cleobot as the uh, fandom refers to her uh she's not just benton's girlfriend for a very short period of time at least but uh hale asks the benton if they need to close to paramedics because they have no monitored beds available and they're boarding a ton of ICU patients 
And Car- but Carter says they've been getting a lot of bad press for that lately. Uh, but Benton does close in with trauma, and Corday learns everyone was fine on the helicopter. So, which nothing exploded? Nothing. Nothing happened. It, going back to what Carter's whole thing is about the bad press, like we we talked about this too. But like, maybe I just didn't grow up in a you know big urban city. Like I grew up in a city, but it was a smaller size, and like I can't recall ever hearing about. ER statistics or like ER wait times or ER like ERs closing to traumas and things like that at any point in public media like newspaper TV anything like I don't I just don't recall that being a thing that got reported on but maybe it's different in like big cities like Chicago where you're serving you know literally millions of people so. I can see it being like a special like Dateline type mm-hmm. style sure story. yeah like hey this we're taking we're taking a look at County General Hospital in Chicago. Yeah, like but not well, something you would have weekly columns on. Yeah, but it, it does get brought up again later in the episode. Like Romano refers to it again later in the episode. So you know, apparently it it is a thing at least in this world. Mm-hmm. Uh, but Trent has come back with his girlfriend, and it turns out he has been sexually active, but only with her. Carter's like, dude, you got to be honest with me. And Trent's like, what do you think I'm doing? This wasn't easy. Right, yeah. So, Like, this is, like, this is him being honest. Like, this is him also, doing the right thing. Another one of... This episode has some really weird, like, time jumps within this day. Because, mm. like, just... Yeah, like, there's no way he would have gone and come back. It, I don't know. The scope of time for this episode is a little jarring to me. It's like Game of Thrones writers did it. But um, Mark insists that they go to county, even though it's close to trauma. The paramedics argue a little bit, and he's like, no, it's fine. I'm an attending there. Just just take us there. They'll let us in. And again, helicopter doesn't blow up. They drive away. Everything's fine. <laughs> Presumably leaving this uh, damaged helicopter in a junkyard to rot. Yeah. I mean, fine. hey, it's already in the junkyard. Right? Don't, don't even need where, to bring it back. Where it needs to be. But uh, Tom's fiance Janet, has shown up to county, and Lizzie gives her a bit of an update and is like, oh, yeah, they're in the ambulance. Everything's fine. And from the crash. And Janet's like, crash? Wait, they're not in, in, they're not in the helicopter? <laughs> well, it's fine. It's fine. It's fine. It's a long story. It's fine. But um, she mentions something about how, oh, they got engaged three years ago. And then Tom got sick and the infection spread to his heart. So they haven't gotten married yet. And Lizzie is shocked at it being engaged for three whole years. Like, she thinks this is an unbearably long time. To which I just have to laugh. <laughs> But, um, yeah. Uh, And uh, our fiancé here, Janet, is played by actress Vivian Wu, who appeared in stuff like The Last Emperor, The Pillow Book, and she is one of, along with our very own uh, John Aylward, rest in peace, uh, along with John Aylward, she is one of the only good parts of the reprehensibly bad and also a little bit racist question mark TMNT3 Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles 3 uh, the one where they go back to feudal Japan uh, uh, Ooh, that's that'd be that's totally fine it's not great <laughs> it's really that sounds like a totally non-offensive totally historically accurate so another like I could do an entire side episode just on that movie and how fucking weird it is but like uh i mean hey does it is does, te- uh, canonically Sam- speaking it is an er movie because john aylward does- is in it playing a villain a, a bumbling he play- so he plays like the main villain. no he doesn't play the main villain but he's like the bumbling uh henchman of the the main villain 
and it's a very you be a bumbling henchman it's so perfect like when i once i it's you don't so understand weird. the like bomb that went off in my head once i realized that the dude from tmnt3 and uh Antspaw were one and the same just like poof, destroyed my brain um but that this was the first um the first uh, ninja turtles movie to not involve um jim henson at all uh, Jim Henson had passed away by the time this movie was in production. I think he passed away during production of the second one. Um, and the second one has its own host of problems, but the the um, the suits more or less still look like of Jim Henson quality. By the time three rolls around, Jim Henson is dead and gone. And the Jim Henson company has sort of washed its hands of the whole phenomenon of the Ninja Turtles and has moved on to other things. And so they got this other company to come in and do kind of like their best job of recreating the Jim Henson creature shop suits. And it's bad. (laughs) It's so bad. The suits are awful. You may remember from a few years ago now, probably like four or five years ago now, uh, one of the suits from this movie surfaced on eBay. Yes. And it was, uh, it had been kept in like a warehouse or something for the last 25 Uh. years. And the latex had started to erode, and yeah, it's fucking nightmare fuel. (laughs) But uh, what the shit? But yeah, I'd be happy to revisit that fucking dumpster fire of a movie for a a movie review, just just so that everybody can see fucking funny John Aylward, because the man could be funny. He's one of the only good parts. Why are they in samurai armor? Because they go back in time. Uh, They trap. They literally travel through time back to feudal Japan, and it's yeah zombie zombie turtle yeah it's great it's it's horrifying uh but don't think that if i didn't have the opportunity to buy that i would uh i would never (laughs) sleep again if that was in my house i would just have it like on this door behind me in the recording studio like uh, you'd have to look at it podcast (laughs) every time i would quit the fucking podcast all right but so let enough enough of me detouring into the wild and wonderful world of the ninja turtles uh at me on twitter i'm happy to talk about it uh we get didn't you just didn't you discontinue your twitter see head tap if you delete your twitter they can't at you uh, but they can't because they can do the the setting the tone Twitter. I know, so. which I basically run. So it's, it's I've played myself. Uh, but we go from yeah. there. Uh, more examples of how slammed they are in the ER. They've had to start a second board, pull one out from storage. Uh, and uh, Halle is complaining that none of the nurses have even had a chance to take a lunch break yet. And it's at this point that Benton kind of has his like, all right, everybody shut up moment. And is like, give me a phone, which we presume is the Weaver phone. Uh, he's going to break. <laughs> it's just a red up phone with a one button for a hotline to Weaver's house. Break glass, break glass for Weaver in case of emergency. Um, but uh, Mark gets a call on the ambulance. Uh, and uh, right as he's uh, starting to talk to them, we realize that uh, Tom has uh, lost consciousness and they can't feel a pulse. And the uh, paramedics who like when they first picked them up, put up like a tiny bit of a fight of like, we, you know, oh, we should go to this other place because it's closer. And Mark was like, no, I'm an attending. Damn it. Let's go. And they were like, OK, chief says go. Let's go. Like they were kind of on board. They're like they put up a little bit of a fight, but they were basically on board. Now, now that shit's starting to go south, they have completely turned on Mark. Like they're like, we're filing an incident report about this and your name's going on this. And blah, 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 blah. I mean, which I get they're lower on the food chain. They're the ones that are going to get fucked on this. Uh, but cover it, your ass. Always. Yeah. Oh, thanks, it's just funny how quickly they turned on him. Okay, well, they get Tom to the ER, and Corday helps take over CPR as Mark is doing it, I believe. Yep. 
Uh, Janet holds his hand as they work, and Mark kicks another trauma out of trauma one, and the rapid infuser disconnects, and there's blood spraying everywhere, including right on the window right in front of Carrie, which is a beautiful shot, just blood splattered, and Carrie's... <laughs> Like, what the fuck? That was an excellent shot. Like, Carrie can't even take one day off without the entire ER falling apart. Yeah. Benton says he's never seen the ER busy like this, and Halei comments, that's like this every day. I love her line read. She, she is so good this episode. She yeah. doesn't Romano does not is... even look up from what she's doing. She's like, it's like this every day. Shut up. Yeah. Romano is pissed that they closed the trauma because, you know, Romano likes good PR, not bad PR. Come on. Get with the program, Benton. But Carrie advises, no, they're open. And Carrie's very pissed, though, that Kovach never showed to handle this mess and left Benton holding the bag. And Romano threatens Peter that, oh, you may not be the guy for the per diem job. Ugh. Fuck you, Romano. Right. <sighs> also, can I take a moment to note what happened in our recording last week, speaking of Romano? <laughs> uh, this, is where, this is where we found out that uh, we're getting Paul McCrane on the podcast. Yeah. yeah. So that this is where we all about shit so, our pants for 20 minutes. So and... prepare for a Malucci-like rehabilitation tour where we suddenly decide that actually Romano has been good this whole time. And we agree with everything he says and we love him implicitly. No, uh, it's yep. just it, this This is always going to be a weird episode, both because we had to do it twice and because it will always be the episode that we found out while we were recording it that we were going to be talking to Paul McCrane. So, oh boy. <sighs> Tomorrow. Ah, um, later this year do a podcast feed near you patreon.com slash podcast to get that two weeks early yep but i just needed to share that because that was just such a unique moment of recording last tuesday but yeah fuck romano what the fuck my dude um then we go to mark is working on tom with corday and janet wants to marry tom in the hospital if he's not well enough to leave uh trent's girlfriend emma has tested positive for hiv were you shaking Just your head? Up? Shake my head at the grandma. Yeah. Okay, this is this is one hundred tested positive. This is one hundred hundred and ten percent at the feet of the grandmother. Like she yeah. she caused this. Yep, and like a true fifteen year old girl having world ending news, she says, "I know what happens. Everybody dies." Which uh, excuse you, your fifteen year old boyfriend has been living with this for fifteen years and is hale as a horse. So. Yeah, but she still has, I'm sure I still understand. has preconceived notions. Yep, considering, you know, what she's grown up around. And who knows what the state of uh, Chicago public schools are at this point. They could be still, they could still be using PSAs from the mid-80s for their Mm -hmm. sex education. I mean, it is 2000 and uh, and it is most definitely not a death sentence at this point. But it's, uh, the way she talks, you'd think that it was like, you know, mid-1985. Mm-hmm. And we should also note, at some point during this episode, Trent refers to his birth mother, who died when he was two, as a loser. Yeah, that wasn't like, great. But, I mean, uh, I guess from a so character just, motivation standpoint, I sort of understand it from his perspective. Like, he's he's clearly been given a filtered version of events from his grandmother yeah. in, a, in a lot of respects. So I'd imagine she probably downloaded a lot of that fucking trauma onto him, too. Yep. Yep, yep, yep. But just so much... Uh, bias and implicit ick in this whole episode with that and carter wants them to talk to a teen hiv counselor together so he leaves them to have a little bit of privacy and just like process the information for a bit 
And uh, Emma here, the girlfriend, she we didn't really get a good look at her earlier when she first came in. We only see her through the door. This is the first time we really get to see her face. Uh, she is played by I, arguably the most recognizable, oh, hey, it's that person of this episode, actress Carla Gallo, who uh, made sort of the rounds of the Judd Apatow verse in the mid to late aughts. Um, she appeared in movies like Neighbors, Superbad, Get Him to the Greek. I believe she was also in the 40-year-old version as well. She was never one of the starring people in it, but she was always kind of a supporting person, like shows up in one or two scenes and uh, was always pretty good, pretty funny. So Carrie is trying to get a handle on the situation and is trying to get as many patients discharged as possible. I can talk good today. Um, she says, nobody masters the art management on their first day to Benton. That's a nice way of saying you fucked right. up, but it's okay. But you called for help. Yeah. Older man, an older man has collapsed in triage, uh, apparently bent in, in a flurry of other nonsense going on. I uh, accepted him from an urgent care center and he's been waiting in chairs. I uh, didn't talk to the doctor doing the transfer. He just assumed it was a back sprain based on what information that was relayed to him. And they believe it's a ruptured aneurysm. Which is a, a killer. And uh, don't fucking play around with those. That's uh, what got my grandfather. So fucking mm. pay attention to your signs and symptoms, kids. Um, so, yeah. We go from there to uh, back to Tom, who is uh, out of heart failure and breathing on his own. Great. Uh, he asks where Janet is. And Mark informs him that she is headed to City Hall to try to get a clerk to marry them today. Uh, which is which is nice. Yeah, but I also want to note, I hope somebody got fired for that blunder because shortly we see her on the phone still just trying to get a hold of somebody at City Hall. Well, so. yeah. she's yeah. on her way to being on her way. Um, yep. Then uh, we see Kovach is down in the morgue with our uh, favorite pathologist, Dr. Upton, uh, discussing the autopsy of the man that he, uh, he killed slash self-defense to death. Like, however we want to, wherever we landed on that. Self-defense to death. <laughs> you know, we're going to par we're gonna parse it. this as much as, it's better than my one from last week, which was Doritos Loco self-defense. Um, but uh, <laughs> it's determined. God, I forgot about It's that. determined uh, that uh, this gentleman was probably just a drifter. There's no real s strong leads on his identity. Um, the only thing that Dr. Upton is able to get from him is that uh, he may have either grown up or spent time in Central California based on some of the uh, bacterial spores or something in his lungs yeah, or gut gut flora. flora some whatever. Yeah. So, yeah, uh, this is uh, Kovach is just going to have to fucking deal with this one. Like, he's just going to have to, you know, deal with his shit. He's not going to get any kind of clean resolution on this. And I just thought it was funny. Maybe it's on a pedantic tip. I don't know. But I just thought it was funny that they spend this entire episode searching for Kovach when he at some point in the episode actually spends time in the hospital itself. Because we as we've seen in previous episodes, the morgue is located in the hospital. So he actually mm -hmm. had to come to the hospital to go to the morgue. You think maybe he might have popped into the ER just to check on things. But he's going up afterwards. We find out later he doesn't think his shift is right now. Why would he true. go True. No, early? no, true. So also, uh, no closure for you. <laughs> yeah. Is that to, said in the voice of the soup Nazi? <laughs> uh, it would be if I wanted to put any effort into Fair it, enough. but yes, that's the... Also, can we call it spicy self-defense? Well, we start, that's sure. what we started with, and then that was determined that that okay. maybe wasn't 
enough to illustrate the severity of the situation hence doritos loco self-defense uh but in any event uh we go from there carter is working on another patient uh when uh he sees emma walking in with chuni and uh overhears that they were arguing when a quote car hit him and so Carter goes over to check and see what's going on, looks in through the trauma room doors and sees Trent being worked on by Carrie. And it does not look good. And the the moral dilemma of this episode kind of comes crashing down on Carter in this moment. And I still don't think Carter has any responsibility in this whatsoever. Question. Do we think that Trent's girlfriend, that her family would have any standing to sue the grandma i yeah i was gonna say that feels like a jake question in my opinion i would say 100 percent. like i think that she should be held civilly liable for what happened to emma because that like she withheld like if if he was aware of his condition and withheld it he would be legally responsible in a lot of states we've learned about that on previous episodes so like if he's not informed of his condition, the person who is knows about his condition. Like, I, I feel like the grandmother should bear some responsibility. I feel like his pediatrician should bear some responsibility too, because this kid has made it to 15, 16 years old. Never once gotten a whisper of it from it. Like he basically like colluded with the grandmother to keep this from him his entire life. It's like, eh, that's real fucked up. Oh, that remind me to ask Jake. I can ask him right now. I'll ask him right now. You, t- you Kay. talk. Uh, so then a father, uh, Man of the cloth. A holy man. What joke, uh, the joke we made. Uh, man of the cloth, man of the faith, pastor, father, whatever we want to call him, shows up to marry uh, Tom and Janet. And she couldn't get the marriage license because City Hall had closed at that point. But he says he won't marry them without the license since it's not legally binding, to which Mark gelts him into it, saying, look at that man. Do you think he needs to worry about a legally binding <laughs> wedding right now? And the guy goes, yeah, as long as they know it's just the blessing, not the actual, like, legal wedding. Yeah. Sure, I'll I'll do it. Yeah, won't hold up in court, but... Uh, but uh, our pastor, holy man, priest, <sighs> clergyman, father... Uh, we got any others? Uh, any, any, any other ways we can crudely describe a, a man of faith here? Um uh reverend reverend sure yeah uh so the holy man here is played by a a guy named skip stelrecht who uh seems to be more of a crew guy than an actor if you look at his imdb he has far more credits Mm -hmm. as a a sound guy or a props guy or crew guy uh than he does as an actor um he doesn't have any weirdly enough though doesn't have any credits um on er as a, a crew person um but it does seem like it's a little bit of an inside joke having him as the holy man here because him and Mark have a, a kind of oddly like chummy relationship. We've apparently also seen this guy before. Um, he also appeared in the season three episode Union Station, which leads me to believe that this must be the guy who um, married Lydia and Al, because that would be the only reason I could think of why we needed a uh, a man of the faith in uh, in that episode. Uh, and he will also be making two further appearances later on down the road, one of which happens to be on the beach, which I think means that he's going to officiate the uh, funeral service for our bald doctor here, uh, which is awkward. But uh, we will cross that bridge when we come to it. All right, so let's finally, 35 minutes in the episode, get our first audio clip here. Uh, Kovach has uh, finally appeared in the ER. Dr. Kovach, did you trade your shift? No. Hey. Where have you been? 
I heard they couldn't reach you and you didn't answer your page. What's the, what's the problem? That I had to come in today and cover for you. I thought I was on tonight. No, you were on today. Then, then I'm sorry. I, it, there must have been some mistake. There was no one with enough experience to cover for you. We almost lost two patients. Look, this is grounds for dismissal. Come on, Gary, fire me. Look, I know that you've been through a lot. If you need to take some time off, you should tell me. But you can't miss any more shifts. I can work tonight. We don't need you tonight. You should go home. Go on, go. What? Just wait a minute. Don't walk away. Where have you been? Abby, please. I, I, I want to help. Just talk to me. There's nothing to say, okay? Kovac is having a normal one. I love, I love the energy behind, Carrie, just fire me. Like, <laughs> yeah. We've all had those days like where it's just like, look, man, I don't care. I mean, not all of us committed not, yeah. Doritos Locos self-defense <laughs> on a person that induced that. Not, yeah, not not under the exact circumstances Kovac is experiencing, but we've all had one of those days where it's like, man, I don't care, dude. If it's that important to you, just fire me. Yeah, it's just, and I love his resigned, well, I can work tonight. No, just yeah, go home. We don't dude. need you tonight. Just, you need You need rest more than we need an extra person in the ER at this point. Go figure your shit out. Also, poor Abby. She's trying her best to be supportive and, like, process this trauma with him. He's just not there, not there yet. yet. Uh, but then we go over to our man of the cloth, who is marrying <laughs> Tom and Janet. And Carter sneaks into that trauma room for a second to grab a, um, a sheet from one of the supply closets and goes back into trauma, too, with it to cover Trent's body because he is passed as the audio from the blessing comes through from trauma one and it's we've complimented this before on their sound mixing but they do such a good job with diegetic mm -hmm. sound when it suits them and just to have that haunting thing of this beautiful life moment happening for tom and janet while trent's girlfriend is watching him be essentially laid to rest for lack of a better term yeah. it's just so well done and um, Emma tells Carter to get out because it's his fault. And he does, respectfully. He yeah. doesn't even fight it. He's like, yep, totally. I get it. He, he walks out. And um, we go back to Tom and Janet. And Mark says, you know, I think under the circumstances, I can allow you one sip of champagne, which is very cute. And um, Lizzie says that they should all give the newlyweds a bit of privacy <laughs> which just tick tickles it's british me. privacy yeah british privacy <laughs> privacy, but privacy. British. yep and um as they walk out skip says i'm just calling him skip at this point uh says to mark nice couple tell him to get a license and i'll do it again no charge throw in you i'll throw Very in your sweet. funeral for free oh the joke gets better every time daniel um that was really loud. <laughs> oh well daniel can cut it down uh, but then Lizzie says, from this, she's talking to Mark. She says, the fancy wedding idea is super silly. Who cares about a bloody ice sculpture? Like, she realizes she doesn't want the stress or the cost of dealing with the wedding planner and, like, doves and floral bouquets and everything. And she just wants a simple ceremony, to which they both agree and hug on. Aww. 
How cute. Uh, we go back and see Benton and Carrie talking about the status of uh, their current patients, and uh, she finally just tells Benton to just go see patients for now and leave the ER management to her. And it's... I know he's a completely different character from the guy that we knew in seasons one and two when he was like Robo Benton and he was, you know, the super doctor and all that. Like he's a much different character now, uh, but it is still nice to be reminded once in a while that there are things that Peter Benton, the doctor, cannot do. <laughs> like that there are certain things that he's just not good at or out of his depth. So it's nice to see him uh, kind of have to take the L on this one. Uh, but he goes to see this. This is a really strange little like curveball they throw at you at the end of the episode. He goes to see an, a patient, Mrs. Barnwell, an older African-American woman suffering from pain in her hip. Uh, she says she's been waiting for three hours to be seen. And when Benton starts to talk with her, uh, she mentions that your mother must be very proud. And, it, you know, she kind of has the same sort of energy of a mama Benton at the beginning. Like you're kind of getting I th- think that's kind of what they were going for is is him getting a little bit of a, a a touch of Mama Benton here. But then it gets like the rug gets completely pulled out from under not just Benton, but us as the audience as well, because it turns out, surprise, she's kind of racist uh, because she wants a white doctor and uh, isn't really interested in talking to Benton as, you know. She's always felt more always comfortable. Always felt more comfortable with a white doctor. And, uh Oh, yeah, yeah ben, you can sort of see like Benton doing like the visual process, like the facial processing acting, like where he's just like, what the fuck? And then he gets he does get a really good clap back on the way out the door because he, he does get. Uh, well, that's fine. No problem. You'll just have to wait another three hours and then drops the mic and walks away. And uh, you love to see it. Um, and our slams the chart down. Right. Our Mrs. Barnwell here uh, is played by actress Juanita Moore, who um, has a just a rocker of a filmography here uh, appeared in stuff like imitation of life disney's the kid and ransom she only uh, had 89 credits to her name which is nothing to sneeze at that's a pretty decent number of credits for an actor but the, the crazy part is that those 89 credits date all the way back to 1939 uh she started acting before world war ii <laughs> like holy shit or well, I guess World War Two maybe it was before World War Two was over. Certainly, might have already started by 1939. I'm not a historian. I mean, war had already broken out in Europe. But it wasn't. It wasn't we we like weren't World involved until we, uh, Pearl Harbor. The US wasn't started being involved. Yeah, we Pearl Harbor was when we were involved. So, um, but in any event, that's crazy. Like she was it working as an actress in movies before World War Two had ended. That is wild. Yep. Um, a global war that lasted from 1939 to 1945. There we go. Uh, but uh, so she did pass away in 2014 at the ripe old age of 99. Good for her. At that, at that point, if I'm ever 99, can we just like, through whatever artificial means, just keep me alive until I'm 100 just so I can. Just so you can say, say suck it losers and then like yeah. flip us the double bird as you fade away. Get, yeah, like exactly like the minute after I turn 100, just say fuck you and my heart just stops. <laughs> There we go. There, that'd, be, that'd be an epic way to go out. Um, let's go to our next audio clip here. Uh, Carter is looking for Abby when Carrie stops him. What happened to him? I don't know. The, uh, have you seen Abby? I saw her punch out. Hey, Carter, you got a minute? Uh, actually, I'm just on my way out. Wait. 
John, you had a bad day. We all have bad days. Look at me. You have to make tough choices, do what you think is right, and accept the outcome. I shouldn't have told him. You had to. See you tomorrow. Hey. I'm off in 20 minutes. Uh, Want to get some dinner? I, I got an AA meeting at 9. You'll make it. We all need Mama Carrie. I know, this is such we all, a... We all need someone looking out for us, like Carrie looks out for Carter. Such a sweet moment. And I love how she's like, no, you'll make your meeting. We're going to dinner. Yeah, you have no excuse. But And I also love how she knows, like, yeah, you had to make a tough call. And unfortunately, we all have to live with the consequences of that. But you did what you think was right. Because it was. Well, hold on, I fucked up that tense. You th- did what you thought was right. Duh. It was right. It was. Anyway, let's go to our last audio clip here. Uh, Cleo and Benton are over at Doc Magoo's. Can I join you? It's a counter, Peter. You can sit anywhere. <sighs> so you survived? <laughs> Weaver said I was incompetent. Really? Mm-hmm. That's what she implied. The per diem job is just temporary until you get back into surgery. Yeah, but I needed to show them that I could run the ER. Why? It has no bearing on your surgical career. Yeah, but it reflects on me, you know. I should have been able to handle it. Can't be perfect at everything. Yeah, but clear. I can learn a job if I can do it well. So do you feel better having said this to a sympathetic ear? Yeah. Yeah, yeah, I guess so. Thanks. You know, I've had some problems, and I haven't had anyone to talk to. Are you ever going to be there for me? Because you sure as hell haven't been. Damn. Get his ass, Cleo. Mm. I, I love that line so much. Get his ass not that one um <laughs> no i under i know what you're i talking i about. was being funny and clarifying for like our dingle listeners dork. you're a dingle dork but yeah either way cleo go, thinks ben's a dingle dork. this is this is i think for my money i think the best cleo episode to date and and you know based on my limited memories of her from first go around maybe the best cleo episode ever like we'll see i know she does play uh some she has some part to play in next week's episode in in all of that unpleasantness that we're going to dig into. Um, but it, it's it, the, the really great Cleo moments are few and far between and they're fleeting. And so when they do pop up, it's important that we like put a pin in and say like, no, like she was actually really good this episode. And I, uh, I wish that we had gotten this Cleo more often than we do. Uh, so Abby goes to check on Luca at his hotel room and I have to note, they are the sad sweater squad. We've got Abby in her black turtleneck and Luca in his sad gray boy sweater. And she just goes over to him and he holds her, does the sad boy head on her chest thing for a minute. And then they have one of the best kisses on the show so far. This is chemistry. Yeah. Even I was like, I right, fam. Fuck you, Jake. Yeah, I was going to say. Guys, yeah, right? Jake continues to be just wrong because this is uh, this is good stuff. Like, I don't know. I don't know what he's watching. Like, even I was even I was moved by this and was like, all right, I can see it. 
I get it. Yeah, I mean, we, we will continue to take you know his assessment on an episode by episode basis because I will freely admit that I don't really remember the specific ins and outs of this first go round of. I mean, I I know that the first iteration of this pairing is very troubled compared to what we see later on. So like, I I get that there's going to be some conflicts in here and there's going to be some not so great moments coming with these two. Um, but it, again, it's all part of the journey. It's all part of the con. It can't all be just rise. Like there has to be some falls in there too. So we'll, we'll see as we go. But I think overall, I think this is, um, you know, I think it's an episode that does some really good things in it. Like I think it, like I said, I think it might be Cleo's best episode ever. Um, but there are some other things with it that are just a little flat, like the helicopter stuff, especially given how it was marketed. Like that does feel like a bait and switch that is kind of beneath the show, especially at this point. I mean, I get that they're in sort of a transitional period, you know, they're, they're not the the new the the newest thing on the block, and uh, you know Clooney has left, and Lucy has left, and there's Juliana Margulies is gone. Like there's a lot of like the show has changed quite a bit, so they maybe are looking to recapture some magic from previous seasons. So marketing things in that way might be one way to do that, but you do have to sort of deliver on that because you the, all those people you roped in to then watch the episode are going to come away with it and go, well, that was a waste of my time, and they're not going to come back the next week. So it's just, and it's frustrating because there are some really like heavy hitter episodes coming down the pipe to include Sally next, motherfucking next field week. next week. The, the guest run that we have been like talking about since the first episode. Um, first time Abby, Abby shows up. Yeah. So like, um, there's a lot of really excellent stuff coming down the pipe. And I think uh, having an episode like this be promised to be one thing and turn out to be something else i think does those episodes kind of a disservice Mm-hmm. yeah it's honestly with the whole helicopter thing you don't have to like hurt anyone or kill anyone no just blow it up anything. literally i just want to see a helicopter explode don't kill like, anybody have it just have it like as mark is going to shoot the flare yeah. the helicopter explodes and, the, and all the ambulances turn right yeah <laughs> that's that that's way. all i'm asking for one exploding helicopter is that so much to yeah. ask I just I vividly remembered it actually exploding. That's why it fucked me up so bad. Yeah. But again, I never remember the show. This is like I'm watching it for the first time every time. So <laughs> fuck me, I guess. Yeah. And so you know, yeah. seven, seven out of 10. right. Seven yeah. out of ten feels perfectly fair for this one. Like solid, yep. if not un, if not spectacular. Yeah, I believe when we recorded this first time, I think it's I think I said it felt like one of the like the later like episode 17 18 yes yeah it it feels like like a just kind of padded out a little bit right it feels like a a a gap bridger like we we've already had our big mid-season sweeps episode and so we need to have this like something to like cleanse the palate and carry us over to the end of season swell and it's just doesn't quite reach that level but um but still solid overall there's definitely stuff to like in this episode Lauren, what do the listeners have to say about it? Um, that's a good question. I have to remember how to read. Oh, Heather R says, maybe late to the party. This photo reminds me of the episode in the awful NBC promo that was shown before this episode originally aired. I don't remember all the details, but it basically made it seem like the entire episode was about this helicopter ride and that something bad was going to happen, like Green was going to be involved in a crash. I remember watching the episode and thinking, that was it? 
This was probably when I started realizing just how misleading previews can be sometimes. Something about helicopters on this show, I tell ya. At Leah1989 says that Mama Carey energy you folks often refer to was out in force, fending off what felt like a relapse moment brewing for Carter, showing again how observant and caring she could be. Sometimes you just need a little help from those friends who can see through your bluff. It's this that made me wish Carrie was around in a much later season when things got really bad with Abby. I have no doubt this soft side of Carrie would have noticed and actually helped, but that's a story for another day. I cringe at Luca's there's nothing to say line because there's so much to say. You jointly experienced some serious trauma. It's clear that she has been wanting to talk while the, he's been shutting her out. And so, since he doesn't want to discuss his thoughts as a ripple effect, she won't feel very comfortable laying her own issues on him in the episodes to come. Cue the disconnect and communication problems that will weigh down their relationship. It's so opposite to how we see Peter and Cleo lay out more of their thoughts, helping them work things out faster and making it way less of a guessing game for one another. And at the full-time dad says, Flight of Fancy gives us one of our last looks at Mark Green before his life gets upended by the cancer diagnosis. Here he's saving a life, popping flares, setting up weddings, and he and Elizabeth are in giddy pre-matrimonial bliss. It's enough to make you cry when you realize that what's just around the corner. Carter's storyline in this episode was a hard one too. Faced with a serious Hippocratic dilemma, I think he ultimately made the right call, despite the disastrous outcome. If anything, the grandmother and pediatrician should have shouldered some of the responsibility for not telling Trent that he had HIV, which allowed him to infect his girlfriend. At best, the grandmother was naive. At worst, she was downright irresponsible. I love the show's nod to Carter and Carrie's relationship. The show always respects its longtime viewers by paying homage to those relationships. I can just see Carrie taking Carter back to her brownstone for pasta and Grace Jones. Benton was getting it from all directions this week. Romano shits on him. Carrie kindly shits on him. The nurses shit on him. That black patient shits on him, though I love his clapback. And Cleo's over his shit, though I must say, when she complains about having problems and Peter not being there, I was like, damn, what exactly does she got going on? Because we don't see it. Fair point. <laughs> it was nice to see Cleo get some procedures in, though. We get to see her as something more than just an extension of Peter. And of course, there's Luca. I guess I'd feel guilty too if I committed manslaughter. But hey, he gets to make out with Abby. All in all, it's a very underrated episode in the scheme of things and a good throat clearer for the haymakers that are around the corner. He does make a really good point there, which I, I think I think we did talk about on the first try of this episode and I forgot about it on this one, that the episode does improve uh, a lot when you consider the context of it of the fact that this is sort of the last normal um mark green super doc episode mm-hmm. like because yes he's going to recover air quotes from what's going to happen to him in season seven but we know that that's just buying time until we get to what happens in season eight so every sort of everything that happens with mark after the next few episodes um everything that he does is sort of couched in that view of Mark green cancer patient slash cancer survivor slash cancer victim. And this is, so this is one of the last times that we can really look at it. And so it, it is very reminiscent to me of that episode in season five, where we, we noted how this was like, um, 
Mark and Doug's last normal one at work where it's an, uh, an otherwise pretty unremarkable episode, but we do get this really nice moment of, of casual greatness between Mark and Doug where it's like there's just two dudes, two bros having a normal one at work. Mm-hmm. And this is sort of that for Mark where it's like we get to see one more time the, you know, the the original version of Mark Green before the cancer diagnosis, before all the stuff that's going to upend his life. We get to see the the master doc at work once again like taking a patient all the way through an episode sticking with him the whole time having maybe not a, a fully happy ending but a ha- as happy of an ending as you could expect given all the circumstances so in that respect Aaron is right I think this does sort of elevate this episode out of uh, a 7 out of 10 for me and, and maybe I would edit my score up to like an 8 out of 10 just just for that sort of like underscore dated milestone significance of like yeah this episode doesn't matter that much in the grand scheme of things but if we're doing it on an episode by episode basis the way we do you are going to find these little moments like this where it's like oh shit this is the last time we're going to see like mark green super doc and not mark green super doc who also has cancer so in that respect in that respect it is important absolutely all right, well, that's about going to wrap up our episode for today. Thank you all very much for listening, as always. This show is brought to you in part by our patrons over at patreon.com slash podcast. For only $1 a month, you can get access to our show notes each week, and for only $5 a month, you can get an assortment of stickers, including one featuring our favorite desk clerk, Jerry, two-week early access to our cast and crew interviews, including Paul McCrane, <laughs> and over 50 hours of bonus audio and video content, including the full season recap episodes, a free-form monthly bonus show called The Lounge, Movie reviews where we talk about a movie featuring an ER cast member. Could be TMNT th- TMNT 3. three. <laughs> yeah, 3, yeah. Uh, and who's fixed of those? Where Lauren reads, some e- reads us some ER fan fiction. We'd also appreciate it if you would follow us on our social media accounts. We are at Set the Tone ER on Twitter. We are on Facebook at facebook.com slash Set the Tone Podcast. And we are at Set the Tone Podcast on Instagram. Also be sure to check out the official Set the Tone community on Facebook. Our theme music is provided to us by Andrew M. Edwards and Daniel. Where can folks find you at? They can find me on Instagram at dan.u. That is y-o-u dot e-l. They can also find me on my other podcast, The Popular Court, with my co-host Jake Terrell, where we do a different pop culture topic each episode and put it through a little mock trial. And Lauren, where can folks find you at? Folks can find me uh, oscillating between talking about women's rights and canceling student debt and cat pictures and cozy video games on my personal Twitter at lobob92345. Make your own cozy game with Skyrim. Doing it. <laughs> uh, and you can also find me on Twitter. I am at randomgamer. That's JM3R. And thanks again, everyone, very much for listening. Please join us again next t- next week for the Sally Field Variety Hour. And have a great week. Bye.